Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience, powered by Gasoline Alley Harley Davidson. My special guest for today's show is world record holder and professional hang glider pilot Johnny Duran. Sit back and enjoy the ride. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Nah, thank you so much, mate. It's uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, we first met Australia Day a few years ago at Toby's Australia Day party, and then. Obviously, you jetted, just jetted off around the world for another year. We're on sort of lockdown now. Can you tell us a bit about your history, mate? I'm glad he didn't ask me to tell you about the party because I don't remember much about that. But uh... no, nah, that can that can that can lie down, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, basically, I I try to follow the summer around the world, uh, competing in hang gliding. Yeah, right. So uh, come sort of late March, I normally jet off to uh, the other side of the world where it's uh, starting to get warm over there. Um, normally in Brazil to start with and then uh, head over to the US and then uh, sort of hang out there, base myself out of LA and yeah, right. fly to and from competitions from there, um, whether it's Europe or Brazil or around the States. And, and is that um, summer, obviously, a climate's good for you to be in the air, but does it also uh, help weather-wise weather with the sport that you do? It does, yeah. We um, we like the the hot the hot air. Um, we need the the warmer months to uh, to be able to hang glide generally, uh, especially for competition, because we're uh, out uh, looking for thermals every day, which is the the hot air rising. Right. Uh, which you know, hang glider doesn't have an engine, so uh, we need to use these pockets of warm air that are rising to uh, you know stay up in the air and and fly uh, to our designated uh, goal for the day. Yeah, right. So so it's all done on hot, basically hot air rising is what causes your velocity. It is, yeah. Or terminal speed or however it's described, I guess, in that. How is it described? Yeah, well, I mean, basically, like in a competition, we uh, we set a course each day, yep. similar to something like a yacht race. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might, let's say it's 100 kilometres long and it's the fastest pilot to complete the course uh, is the winner for the day. So uh, we have to try and find these pockets of hot air rising uh a, just to get to the finish point. Um, if you don't find the next pocket of air rising, you end up back on the ground again. So uh, your, your day can end very early. Uh, right. You can have a five-minute flight or a, or a three-hour flight, you know. So, oh, uh, seriously, it can be that. It's obviously that crucial because that's what propels you. But it can be that, that much of a difference, really. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, we basically uh, get up there and we, we try to race through the sky trying to yeah. find these pockets of hot air and... To uh, get us to our destination. What sort of speeds? Oh, we don't fly that fast. Uh, generally on glides, we'll be somewhere in the 70, 80 kilometer per hour range. Um, at the end, when we're racing into the finish line, we, we might see, you know, 120 k's an hour or so. And is that something to do with being lower or higher? Is, this, is there anything to do with elevation and speed? No, it's just the, the faster we go, the you know, the, the more height we're losing. So right. we, we try to... Uh, sustain our attitude as much as we can when we're flying along the course but when we're diving on the finish line we're, we've got to get to the ground at some point so uh makes sense the faster we get there the yep. you know better chance of beating the person next to you so and does everyone take like don't know nothing about it so you have to educate me does everyone take off at the same time and is it like that like is in a race no uh a lot of our competitions are um actually done in the flatlands so we use um specially designed aircraft um mm-hmm. either a motorized hang glider called a trike or a um, Moyes Dragonfly, which is like an ultralight. Mm-hmm. 
and we put like a 70 meter long rope on the back of them, connect it to us and they tow us up in the sky. Mm-hmm. And they'll take us to about 2,000 feet. Yep. Uh, we release from the, from the ultralight and um, fly away. Um, and generally we'll allow enough time for all the pilots to get up in the air. So we go up one at a time. Ah, right. So the first pilot might have to fly around for an hour or so before uh, we can actually start the, start the race. Really? So you can just be sort of ho- not hovering around but just just waiting time in the air pretty much? Yeah, basically. So, wow. um, you know, but, you know I, like, I like to use the, the yachts as an example. You can't start the race from, from the docks, you know. you gotta, yeah. you got to get out to a starting point and uh, let everyone have the chance to get out there and yep. get ready to start the race and then, and then off we go. So Pretty much the same sport, isn't it? Like obviously from land to air, it's the same sort of idea, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty yep. similar. Chasing, uh, chasing air. Um, and and obviously th- sort of like waiting for people, everything like that is very similar, isn't it? Yeah, we've just got that extra dimension that we've got to worry about. So mm. uh, that's that's where it becomes uh, difficult. How'd you get into it? Uh, my father, he uh, he started hang gliding when I was about nine. Um, we live up uh, in the Gold Coast hinterland there on Beachmont, and uh, I went to school right around the corner from one of the best hang gliding sites. So. Mm. I got to see them flying all the time and sort of look out the classroom window and, and see them up there in the sky and, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, it was just something that I always wanted to do, I guess. And, and you did? Like you literally just wanted, you seen it, wanted to do it and just chased it after that? Pretty much. I mean, I grew up uh, skateboarding and surfing. Yep. Uh, as I used to compete in skateboarding when I was quite young and then um, surfing, you know, sort of did throughout school and... And I guess just going down the Gold Coast, living in the mountains, I uh, wasn't the, the closest person to surf. So um, <laughs> yeah. going down there and, and just the crowds and trying to fight for a wave all the time and not being that uh, as experienced as a lot of the other Gold Coast surfers, um, finding that you only get a handful of waves for, you know, two or three hours of surfing. And there was something about just uh, jumping off the cliff and, sort of discovering that uh, there's no crowds anymore and mm. it's sort of all up to my, you know, to my own skill level to to do what I could do with, with my hang glider. Um, and that's sort of what I fell in love with was the fact that I could, you know, every flight depended on my skill and, you know, I'd learn something new every day and you just want to go back and get more uh, the next day, you know. And, and is that what it's like? For, for me, that sort of sounds like riding. The first time you start riding a bike or whatever, you just want to keep dipping your toe in the water a bit more. Is that what it's like as well? I think so. I mean, yeah. obviously it's, uh, you know, like you said, it's it's anything that you start doing and you grow a passion for, whether it's driving a car for the first time and, and all these yeah. things, um, you just want to get back out there and do it again and again. And I guess, you know, the added thing I had with hang gliding was the views that we get from up there, you know, and, and seeing the world from a different perspective that uh, most people don't get to see. Yeah, that that would be incredible. It really would be. Did you say so you were nine? Was that your first time? Uh, I used to, my first tandem flight, I was nine years old. Yeah. Uh, but um, I had to uh, have a little bit of size to me before I could pick a hang glider up and yeah. and run down a hill with one. So uh, that uh, I had to wait till I was nearly 15 yeah, right. um, before I was big enough to actually get a hang glider off the ground and, uh, and fly one. So, Is there a rule, in, like is there like a rule and regulation on that or is it just size? Like is it just I've got to be in an appropriate size so I don't fly away, I, I'm guessing. 
Uh, no, well, you legally have to be 15. You do? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I wasn't uh, legally signed off from my uh, training until I was uh, 15. 15, so to speak. Yep. Um, I just started a little bit early. and uh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think with aviation it's 15 to hold a pilot's license. Is it? Yeah, okay. Whether it's aeroplanes or whatever it is. Yep. So. And, yeah, so you, you'd be classed as a pilot of sorts, is that right? I with, guess so, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't actually hold a, a private pilot's license, yeah. um, but I do hold a hang gliding license. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I have an ultralight license um, yep. for the, the tow plane that we use. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the extent of my piloting skills. Yeah, okay. It's a different it's a different thing sort of thing, isn't it? It is, so. yeah. I mean, it's not... There's a lot more tests and things you got to learn, obviously, with the, with the private pilot's license or flying jumbos around the sky. But mm. uh, What got you into the competitive side? Uh, I guess it's probably just in my nature. I've always been competitive in everything I did. Um, and I think going into competitions was a, was a really good way of uh, learning how to fly because you're surrounded by better pilots. Uh, you're, you can see what's possible on any given day uh, to go, in, go into a competition and, and think, wow, we've got to fly 100 kilometres today and think, well, I've... I've never flown that far or, you know, I'm not sure if I can do it. I don't think the day, the weather's good enough to do it. And then, you know, one or two people might make it to the finish line out of 50 or 60 and you go, wow, they had the skill to do it. So it was possible. I just need to improve on my skills to, to be that person that gets there, you know. So, um, yeah, it was, it just became very competitive and you always want to beat your, uh, your friends, you know. Yep. So. And did you, like from the start, obviously the, where you live is a bit of a hub for the sport. Did you make friends in the sport straight away? Yeah, I was actually quite fortunate that uh, we had a lot of the top pilots in Australia living in, in this area. Mm-hmm. When I started hang gliding, we probably had at least half the Australian team uh, flying every weekend at my local flying sites. And uh, so I was surrounded by a lot of good pilots and um, it was quite a big sport back then when I learnt. Mm. It... Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I had a lot of people to learn from and it was good to go out there and ask questions and, yep. you know, just try to improve on, on my skills and mm. go from there, yeah. How's the, um, has the, how's the sport changed over the years? Well, there's been uh, less and less uh, action in the hang gliding scene. Um, it seems that uh, there's becoming fewer out there on the on the... Flying circuit, uh, whether that's from people getting older and lifestyles changing, having families and kids and things like that, um, mm. it's not the easiest sport to learn, and it's not uh, you know it's especially for people at young ages. It's it's hard for a teenager to come home and tell their parents they want to start hang gliding and mm. go and jump off a cliff, although. A lot of parents probably wouldn't mind their teenagers jumping off a cliff. Yeah, it's probably a good time to come and ask. <laughs> <laughs> My parents certainly didn't hesitate to say yes when I said I wanted to go jump off a cliff. They said, please, she needs to drive you there. So, <laughs> Just there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, it's, it's a time-consuming sport. It, mm. You know, you, you do have to have the time and a bit of money. Uh, it's not like skateboarding or surfing or something yeah. like that. You can go and spend a few hundred dollars and buy a board and... 
Yep. It, you know, and then everything's free after that. Uh, you know, there is there is cost involved to flying, and uh, yeah, it takes a lot of time and mm. and a lot of people I think these days are just running out of time. You know, they're they're spending their time doing other things. Yep. And that's uh, I think sort of hurting our sport a little bit um, in the hang gliding side. Mm. And you know, probably about twenty years ago, they started paragliding, which is you know pretty similar to hang gliding except it's with a parachute so to speak yep. uh, and that's you know it's much easier to learn it's you can pack it into a bag and stick it in the car uh, you don't need to have a car with the roof racks and all these things you know um, mm. so it's a little bit easier to get around you can travel around the world with a lot easier um, and a lot of our hang gliding instructors um, became paragliding instructors because they found that they were it was much easier for them to teach people and they were making more money. And Yeah, right. So, you know, I think that's half the problem is that we've lost a lot of instructors yep. uh, around the world with our sport because they've sort of gone to paragliding. And, uh, yeah, that's sort of just taken over taken over the world uh, as far as the, the free-flying scene goes. Really? Um, so it's just changed the whole dynamic of the sport, haven't that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's it's the same sort of principle. You're up there, you don't have an engine and you're trying to fly and challenge yeah. your skill and same sort of thing. Um, but it's it's easy to transport on the ground and get around and, and things like that. So that's definitely appealing to a lot of people. Mm. Um, it's still, you know, it still costs money and you still got to pay fees and this and that to fly. But, um, yeah, it's just a little bit easier, I think, for a lot of people to, to get out and go paragliding than it is hang gliding these days. Makes sense. And I guess the other part to it is the accessibility as well, isn't it? You've got to be in a location. Skateboards, you can just go out in your street and find a bowl or something, whereas that sport you need to be accessible to a mountain or a good a good mountain too that does it, I guess, like Beachmont or something like that. That's, That's right. You, you know, 100% correct. You can just about anybody can go grab a skateboard and yep. go skate in their driveway, you know, or practice on the grass or do whatever um but yeah with with flying you do have to generally drive somewhere uh, to a location you have to be a member of the club mm. all these things that you got to do um to be able to fly but um you know if people just went up there and went flying uh you know tried it they would understand why it's all worth it yeah right so it's one of those things you know people say why do you fly so well Maybe you should try a tandem flight and, uh, and then you'll probably understand why, why we fly because it's, it's like no other sport, you know. I've just about done a lot of different sports in my life but uh, there's nothing that compares with uh, being up there flying like an eagle, you know. So every day that you get up there, you still love it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, you know, on the weekend I, I took off and, and I uh, climbed out and got up to the clouds and looked out and... You know, looking over the Gold Coast and the Hens Dam and up to Brisbane and Stradbroke and just looking down on everybody, you know, and flying around for a few hours up there with the, the eagles and the birds. And, wow. you know, it's a pretty spectacular sport when you when you see it from from a bird's eye view. Um, just a lot of people think we're, we're crazy. Just people want to go jump off cliffs and yep. have a death wish, you know. But uh, Is it crazy? I wouldn't say it's crazy. I mean, for it's me, the most dangerous part of flying is still driving there and driving home. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, you know. This is in, it's measured, isn't it? Like all the thing with the sports measured, you have, 
you have function like you obviously practice so much to a point that you know landing spots, you know everything like that. I guess is that right? Oh, I mean, not always. Uh, you know, obviously in in my own backyard and in, in, yep. in this area, I've been flying here for twenty five years, so I've landed mm. in lots of different locations. But uh, yeah, I mean, when I travel around the world. I go flying places I've never flown before, and mm. yeah, it's. Uh, uh, obviously, it's calculated risk and and managing your skill. I mean, it's you need to still fly within your skill level. Um, generally, most accidents happen in any sport from people pushing their skill levels or trying things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, whether it's going out and cyclone surf or mm. skating big ramps that you never skated, or you know just pushing that envelope a little bit more. Um, Doing a 200 foot jump instead of a 150 foot jump on a dirt bike. Yeah, um, don't want to be doing that. We don't want to mention names, but yeah, <laughs> like for me, that stuff's crazier, you know. Mm. And for me to go jump off the cliff in the hang glider and go flying around and fly within my limits, yeah. um, I, I don't find that too too risky at all. No, I understand. Like, I'm just in awe of it because we're such land land based. Humans are such a land thing. I just watch your videos and just go, wow. Like, it's incredible, but so scary at the same time. But for you, you've done it. You know what's involved. It obviously isn't, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's I, every time I see the videos, I'm in awe. Like, I watch it and I think, hey, that's incredible to, to see. And the views would be the views would be awesome. So what happens at the beach once? So you take off. Do you land back up there as well or do you land down in, say, the valley or something? How's, how's that Well, work? it depends on where um, what I'm trying to do for the day. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I up until probably a year or year and a half ago had the longest flight in Australia from Beachmont. Yeah, right. Um, Where'd you go? I uh, took off from Beachmont and I flew uh, to the northwest, um, ending up out near Muckadilla which is out west of between Roma and Chinchilla. I mean, Roma and... Um, 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 what, between Roma and Chinchilla? What do no, you got, Miles? After, after Roma. Ooh, it's a big Roma? town. Uh, having a memory blank right now. But uh, about 50 k's past uh, Roma. Yeah, right. Is where I ended up. Uh, just, just short of Mitchell, I think it was. In it, how long? How long does that take? That took me about 10 and a half hours. Wow. And that, is that just out there? That's that just out there, yeah. yeah. No, I landed at sunset. Nice. Took off about 7.30 in the morning and landed out there at sunset. And uh, yeah. I was fortunate enough to have somebody driving my car, chasing me the whole day. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, then um, did that and then turned around and had to drive uh, seven and a half hours home again. So, Mate, that's awesome. <laughs> it was wow. a long day out. Yeah. Um, and it's not easy to find somebody that at a spur of the moment that say, hey, you know, Mick, what are you doing today? You want to feel like driving to Sydney and back today? You know, just Pretty for a bit much. of fun. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> well, in a in a car, it's it's it is it's a thousand k, isn't it? Five hundred to get to Roma is about, about five hundred and fifty k or something. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's like I said, it's about it's about a seven hour drive home again. Yeah. Um, from out there, so it definitely is a long day uh, in the car and for somebody. And so, what happens in the air at that time? Like, you've got ten hours of just constantly searching, like. What do you do? Well, obviously, you know, my, my skill and my, my mind is working uh, all the time. I'm yep. probably we make a decision every second. 
mm. when we're flying. Uh, some of them we're not really aware of, but uh, a bit like when you're driving a car, you're constantly second nature type thing, adjusting the steering wheel, whatever, changing gears, things like that. Yep. That you you know you're probably not concentrating on a lot, but you're still doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, basically, I'm I'm trying to to go as far as I can on on, on a record flight like that. Yep. Uh, so I'm sort of looking at my speed over my distance, trying to figure out if if my average speed that I've been doing is going to be good enough to to break a record. Mm-hmm. Um, whether the skies, the weather's going to change, whether it's going to get better, it's going to get worse. Um, you know, we're constantly analysing the weather. Uh, obviously, for safety is number one priority. Yep. Um, but yeah, basically trying to find these thermals, the hot air uh, rising to to get me as far as I can for the day. So um, mm. a lot of people just think, well, what do you do? It's a long time to just sit up there and, and do busy. nothing. I mean, you're not doing nothing, you know. You're, you're up there, you're concentrating all the time. So yep. surely, I mean, I do get to have a look around and yeah, and admire the, the views as well at the same time. But uh, yeah. Adjusting your body. Obviously, where you're positioned and everything like that. Yeah. What technology do you have up there? Like GPS, obviously, you've got some sort of tracking. Yeah, so pretty basic. Uh, we have what we call a variometer, which is um, tells us our altitude and mm-hmm. also tells us whether we're going up and down. Mm. It doesn't actually find these pockets of hot air for us, but it lets us know whether we're in one or whether we're not. Mm. Um, so it just makes a, a beeping sound when, when I'm going up and... Uh, a solid tone sound when I'm coming back down to Mother Earth again. Mm. Uh, so that's the basic one. And then we have a GPS as well. Um, yep. Airspeed, things like that. Um, nothing too major. We don't have a glass glass panel in front of us with all these gauges nah. and everything. Um, so that's what you, when you're looking at your rig, is that what you see that's coming around towards the left there? Yeah. So I've just yep. got it off the side there and yep. um, just got a little bit of information for me. Um, it'll tell me wind speed, direction, things like that. Yep. Um, yeah, nothing too major. I kind of just use that as a guide. I don't even yep. look at it all the time. It's just just there. I can hear it. So that's that's mostly yep. what I'm listening to is uh, listening, hoping for beeps because that's that's taking me up. So when you hit a thermal, do you feel it? Does it just like does it hit you like go up or what? How's that? How's that happen? You do, because um, generally outside of thermals, the air's going down. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have this sensation that you're falling. Uh, well, I shouldn't say falling, but you're, you're coming down, yep. and then as soon as you hit that that rising air, you kind of feels like you've gone flying down a, a whoopsie doing a car, you know, and you and you hit that part where you start to go yeah, up right. the other side again, and you can feel the yep. feel you starting to rise. Um, sometimes you can just be going down at a great rate. And then you hit air that's not going down at such a great rate, and it can almost feel like you're in a thermal, but you're still uh, you're still going down. Damn. So it's not that easy to um, to know whether you're going up and down without the instruments. I actually flew a couple of weeks ago now and uh, forgot my instruments, and I was up there flying and uh, just trying to trying to feel feel the thermals and, and whether or not I was going up and down and. It's very challenging, I can mm. tell you, um, even with... Even with the experience. Even with a lot of experience, um, it's hard to, to know, to find these pockets of air um, yep. when you don't have the instruments on board. Now, can you... As I say, I don't know this stuff. 
visually, can you see a, a like a pocket? Do you see anything that represents it, say, from the ground or something? You, you come across a, la- a bit of water or something. Does that – is there anything that you can see from the sky that you go, okay, that's probably going to be a good spot for, for air rising? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, as, as your skill level improves, yep. um, you start to recognise all these little signs mm-hmm. um, that, you know, most people wouldn't even notice in, yep. in a general day's life. But um, – I guess for me, I, I see things and I go, oh, wow, look, there's a thermal over there. Um, a lot of people have probably seen the, the whirly winds on the ground, especially out west um, mm-hmm. in, the, in, the dry, in the drier conditions. You see the little, we call them dust devils, but they look like little tornadoes spinning around. So that's a thermal. Mm. Um, you see the days with uh, nice little cumulus clouds. Below each one of those clouds is a the thermal. Right. So that's the hot air that's it's come up from the ground and it's gotten to uh, to a dew point and it's condensated and formed into a cloud. Mm. So some some air masses we have are really dry, like especially in the wintertime. Um, we see those beautiful crystal blue clear skies all yep. day long. doesn't mean there's no thermals out there. It just means that um, the air mass is that dry that it doesn't – these thermals don't form in the clouds when they, yep. when they get to the top. So – um, the other way of looking at it is if you just turn the earth upside down mm-hmm. and poured water over it, try mm-hmm. to imagine where the water's going to run off. So mountain peaks, things like that. Air generally uh, is very much like water. It tries to find its path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. So when the, when the you know, air is in the valley, it can't go through the mountain. It's got to go up and over it. So it will flow up the mountains and, and over the top. Uh, so anything that's over Great Dividing Range or something like that. So oh, you know, even Beachmont or any yeah. Mount Tambourine, all these, these all of it, yeah. little mountains, the air has to go up and over the mountain. It can't go through it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, these these pockets of hot air will will they will start in the valleys or, and they will rise up the mountain and and you know come off the top of them. So yeah, you know, these these are things we look for in. Um, in blue days when we can't see clouds and things like that. Yep. Um, it can be as little as uh, a car driving down a dirt road. You know, there's the hot air has been sitting there in, this, mm. in these fields for, you know, 20, 30 minutes baking in the sun and, and this car drives by and disrupts this pocket of hot air and it's enough to what we call a trigger and it actually triggers this hot air to, to start rising. Yep. Um, could be a tractor ploughing a field. Wow. Um, there's lots of little things that... Um, there's so much science, isn't there? There is. Uh, obviously, the wedgetail eagles, they're our, they're our masters out there of the sky. So mm-hmm. you'll see them and see them going around in circles. You know, they're in, they're in a thermal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we look out for birds. Um, we have the little, whether you call them the little swifts or swallows, the little, little ones that you'll see flying around. Yeah. They're out there eating insects. So the insects are actually getting sucked up off the ground. Mm-hmm. And when you see those little birdies out there flying, that means that generally there's a thermal there because... They're working. They're, they're, they're out there yeah. working. They're having, they're having their lunch break. Um, really? So, yeah, you know, there's, yeah. there's things out there yeah. that um, there's pilots you see and you, yeah. you learn over the years on little signs of, of showing you the way. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's part of the, the fun of learning. Mm. Uh, the sport is is just 
I feel like it's one of those sports you can never master. You know, yep. there's you can't say, well, I'm the best at this sport and no one's ever going to be better than me because, you know, the more you do it, the more you learn. Mm. So it's... Just finding those little little pieces, eh? It's like putting a puzzle together, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's it's exactly like putting a puzzle or building a pyramid. You, yep. You're doing it one block at a time, you know, and yep. or a piece at a time. And What an incredible challenge. It is, yeah. yeah. Eventually you, you build the puzzle and... The picture becomes a little clearer to you, but <laughs> doesn't mean that uh, you still know it all. So yeah, no, that's well, like yeah, as you say, I, as I said, sorry, I don't know anything about like a very limited knowledge. It's it's cool to hear the like little details, you know, things like that. A car driving up a road, something like that, that just blows you away. What was the distance to the one out near Mitchell and Roma? Uh, in a straight line, um, was five hundred and twenty-one kilometers. Yep. Uh, I've had a, I think four or five flights from Beachmont around the 500 kilometer mark. Mm. Uh, so it seems to be about the point I get to <laughs> from yeah. here. Uh, my longest flight um, was over in Texas in the US. Yep. Um, set out to break the world record of 700 kilometers. Wow. Uh, another good friend of mine, uh, an American. Dustin Martin, uh, 11 hours later, we broke that world record and I managed to do 759 kilometres and uh, he he managed a couple of kilometres further. So Ooh. he owns the world record still to yeah. this date of the longest flight in hang glider. Wow. He did, uh, yeah, I think, 761 kilometres. I was at that close. Yeah, yeah. yeah we uh, won't go into the details, but uh, I was... Uh, Busy uh, on the GoPro trying to document the whole thing and uh, he ended up 100 metres higher than me at the end of the day and that was enough to uh, oh. to uh, own the world record. <laughs> so, Jeez. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day I set out to, uh, to break the world record and I did that and yep. I achieved what I was went there to do um, and I, I owned the second longest flight in the world, mm. uh, which... Uh, a lot of people go, well, how far is that? It's it's a little further than Brisbane Airport to Sydney Airport. Yeah. Uh, without an engine. That's huge. So it's a, it's a long day in the in the sun up there in Hang Glider. And, yeah. You know, I, I always dreamed of breaking the world record because uh, yeah. it, it stood for about uh, 10 years or so uh, before we broke it. And it was then it was about the distance from Gold Coast to Sydney. Oh really? And yep. every time I jumped on a on an aeroplane and flew down to Sydney, I'd always book the window seat so I could see how far I had to fly. Yeah. And I'd sit there and I'd stare at the window for the hour and a half it took on the plane, and knowing that it was going to take me a lot lot longer in the hang glider, um, but just seeing all the the mountains and the terrain that uh, you go across, yep. I was uh, it's like wow, it's it's going to be a long day. And uh, at what hours was seven hundred and six seven hundred fifty nine k's? How long was that in hours? Uh, it took me just under 11 hours. 11 hours. Yeah, so it took off about 10 a.m. and landed at 9 yep. p.m. And Texas is a real home for hang gliding, isn't it? It is. It's um, it's obviously quite dry and hot. Yep. Uh, it has uh, the wind currents that we need to to break a world record. Mm -hmm. It's um, that area, the U.S. has pretty much held the world record and for distance flying and 
since I can remember. Uh, yep. I think the original ones were set even in uh, New Mexico um, back in the you know, late 80s, early 90s. And then uh, they moved down to, to Texas um, and uh, started doing world records from down there. And yep. you get the... The, the winds uh, coming off the, the Gulf Coast down there um, below Houston and they push, subtly winds push you up uh, straight up through the, the Texas panhandle and yep. fly all day long. Wow. When you're going for a distance record, is it just straight? Like are you just trying to go as straight as possible? Well, you are, but obviously we've got to follow roads. Um, mm. We have to have a landing area. We don't have an engine, so... Yep. Every single glide, we have to be in reach of a landing spot. Yep. Um, that's one tricky thing in Texas. It's a lot of mesquite trees there, mm -hmm. which I'm not sure if you know what mesquite tree is, but uh, they got about uh, two-inch long thorns on them. Jeez. And, uh, yeah. You don't want to be going into those. No. They're, uh, it's the last thing you want to crash into yep. in a hang glider, I can tell you. Yeah. So uh, the place is full of them. Uh, for the first uh, few hundred kilometres anyway. So <laughs> um, obviously the hardest part is is uh, the beginning and the end mm -hmm. just because we're taking off um, early in the morning. Yep. Um, right, basically we try to go as early as we think we can be able to stay up in the sky because yep. we need that heat, we need that morning sun and we need the ground to heat up uh, before we're going to get the, yep. the thermals. So... We try to go as early as we can, um, but not too early because we don't want to be on the ground five minutes later mm. um, staring at a, a world record looking day going, geez, I was just 10 minutes too early. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, um, it's a fine line. So it's, you know, it's a lot of hard work in the beginning there just because there's not a lot of landing options. Yeah. And um, it's sort of the most critical part of the day. So... It's a bit of a challenge, but um, once the day warms up and you get going, it's it's a magnificent place to fly. It's uh, obviously it's on a lot of the world records, so yeah, that's why we go there and and try for them. But I I still don't see a reason we can't do it here in Australia. Really? It's definitely we we have days here that we can do it, but it's a matter of being being there on the day and yep. being in the right location to. You know, to maximise it, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of um, research and um, trying to pick the right location uh, to find... The hardest thing is to find uh, wind that's blowing in the same direction for such a long distance. Right. Um, you know, it's not... Imagine a, a southerly wind coming through Sydney and, and still having a south wind when you get to Brisbane. It's not always the case um, because of the way the, the weather patterns are. So yeah. that's that's the hardest part is finding that unique location where you can, can yeah. get the winds blowing in the same direction for a long time and that's what uh, Texas has. So it's, yeah. it's definitely a good spot. Wow. So, so, yeah, possible here, maybe. Very possible. Um, the biggest problem we have here is that big centre of Australia has a lot of, uh, a lot of nothing. Mm. And that's probably one of the better locations to try one, mm, mm. <laughs> but there's uh, no roads and not much out there, so yeah, uh, yeah, it just makes it difficult yeah. um, trying to find the location that you can sort of have everything—the weather, the the retrieve, the yep. um, 
obviously somewhere close to a, I don't like to use the words hospital, but you yeah. never know what's going to happen. So um, yeah. you don't want to be way out there in the remote sticks in case something something terrible does happen. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's just sort of weighing out the risk and trying to find the right place to do it. With your with your record one here in Australia that you did, the 500 and – was it 5? Five, 521. 521. Did you have a rough guide that you thought that's about as far as I can get here? Like time in the day, everything like that? Was that a – obviously you identified a spot. Is that about where you thought you'd get to? Yeah, one? well, listen, I mean obviously the equipment – gets better over the years um, mm-hmm. when I started out uh, the longest flight from Beachmont was around the 200 kilometer mark was it really but that wow. was 25 years ago yeah and uh, it uh, went up to around I think 220 kilometers by a four-time Australian champion mm-hmm. when he uh, lived in the area and then my uh, my father broke the record I think he did 240 kilometers yeah right and then uh the next day I broke the record, did 250 kilometres and it's uh, slowly been working its way up um, over the years and, uh, yeah, I've, like I said, I've had a handful of flights around the 500-kilometre mark so yeah. it seems to be um, about the distance uh, but it's just a lot of the times I'm here, it's not the best time of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm away competing a lot of the times so... Uh, you know, being here on the longest day of the year, obviously late December is probably the best time uh, to, to try for these long flights. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm away uh, competing around Australia at that, that time in other competitions. So uh, I haven't had the longest day and potentially the best days uh, to, to have a crack. Yep. But, um, you know, it's, I, think, I think there's... On the right day, 600 plus is, is possible out of Beachmont, but yeah. uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the 700 plus. Uh, it's a, it's a long ways from yeah from uh, from here. So that's awesome. It's yeah, it's it's incredible to just think of that distance when you say you know you're looking out a plane of how far you're going, and as the crow flies, it's that's a long way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, on a 700-kilometre flight, I, I would hate to think of the distance I'm actually flying because it's not obviously in a straight line. So, yeah, um, you know, it's probably another 25% on that. So it's, you know, probably doing eight, 900 kilometres yeah. on the day um, to fly that distance. So, uh, yeah, and I think that's half the problem with Beachmont too is I, I do quite a big, big arc to get to where I'm going um, just with going with the winds and airspace and just to getting across the Great Dividing Range and things like that. There's yep. only certain places we can cross. Um, and so then we've got, got a big be forest. Of, you've got to be aware of airspace concerns and that, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, you know, we, we're allowed to fly in certain areas and yep. um, some areas uh, we, we've got to watch out for. We can only be at certain altitudes and things like that. So, yep. uh, yeah, we definitely we got to obey by all the air rules and... Um, that makes the flights even harder these days because the regulations are getting harder and harder for us. Um, yep. You know, with air forces and Ambly airspace and they've put another big airport out near Toowoomba now. And mm. um, yeah, so there's for this particular flight from Beachmont, it's definitely a lot more challenging now to try and uh, try and get out there and do it on the right day and have have the permissions to go through the airspaces if I need to and things like that. So yeah, 
Yeah. You've had a you've had a long career in the sport. Have many of the competitors come through like the same time still there? Um, there is some, yeah. There's I mean there's pilots, you know, that were my age when I started in the competition scene yep. and they're still flying. Still into it, yeah. There's you know, there's guys I know that fly as much as I do and they're seventy years old. That's awesome. And they still compete around the world and Yep. Uh but there's not a lot that really started with me that are still flying, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of them have had families and things like that over the years that have uh, slowed them up or stopped them from travelling as much as they'd like or yep. they compete more locally or just in Australia. Um, but, yeah, there's very few that actually travel around the world doing it as a yep. job. So your first event was in Australia? It was down uh, in Victoria, down yep. at Mount Buffalo. How'd you go? Whew, that was a long time ago now. Um, where's Mount Where's Mount Buffalo in Vic? Uh, northeastern Victoria, right North on the border. East. Okay. Uh, yep. Down near Albury, Wodonga yep. area. Yep. Yep. Um, I don't, I really don't know, to be honest. Um, Were you addicted to the competition part from the start, though, when you got into doing that first one? Was it, did it accelerate pretty quickly? It did, yeah. yeah. Obviously, um, as I said earlier, it's you know competitions just sort of opened opened my eyes on onto what was actually possible. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd normally you know you stand up there and you go, okay, well, I know it's flyable, but how far can I fly today? And you might fly ten kilometers and go, wow, that was a great flight. Mm. And then find out that others went a hundred kilometers that day, and you go, oh. Geez, they, they went ten times as far as I did. Well, what did they do different to me? You know, so yeah, um, yeah. It was just a real eye opener, I guess, to to realize that I had so much more to learn. And mm. um, so, from starting there, how long did it take to like you've travelled the world now for lots of years? How long did it take to get to a point where you're travelling around everywhere doing it? Um, I started. I was uh, working in the film industry here locally um, when I was 21, uh, a while ago now, and uh, I got a phone call from one of the hang gliding companies here in Australia called uh, Moyes Gliders and they were um, Bill Moyes, a lot of people might know the name of. He was one of the pioneers of the sport um, back in the day and Mm -hmm. he uh, started out water skiing and, and started building these flat kites that would get them off off the water and get them flying for a little bit and eventually started jumping off a mountain. Um, so, yeah, they were sort of one of the biggest hang gliding manufacturers here in Australia and they called me up one day while I was halfway through a film shoot and said, oh, we want to sponsor you to uh, travel around the world and play our, our hang gliders. And uh, that was obviously a dream of mine. That's mm. what I wanted to do uh, from the day I started hang gliding so uh, kind of had to go to my bosses uh, in the in the film industry and tell, tell them a little situation because they said there's there's only one catch you you cut you got to leave home tomorrow so wow I, was, I didn't get much time to think about it and yeah, uh, yeah I went to the bosses and uh, fortunately I had very nice bosses at the time and they both looked at me and said well what are you still doing standing here you know they said we know that's your dream and that's your passion and if it doesn't work out, give us a call and you'll have a job when you come back. So uh, I was pretty lucky as a 
mm. young guy to uh, to have people like that that pushed me, uh, you know, gave me the opportunities to do what I wanted to do, and and yeah, basically that was that was twenty years ago now. So mm. just under twenty years ago, I started traveling the world and doing it for a full time job. And you've still got the relationship with Moyes, obviously, as well. I do, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I still uh, still fly for them and still yep. travel the world and competing for them and trying to make the hang gliders look good. And yep. How many manufacturers? Like, there's obviously heaps of manufacturers, but how many of in the top field, like you are, is there? Like, there's obviously Moyes. What what others? Are there? There's really there's only about four manufacturers is worldwide. There? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, there used to be another one here in Australia called Airborne. Right. Um, they were sort of um, Moyes' main rival in this country anyway. Yep. Um, just because a lot of people want to buy local stuff. Yep. Um, they actually make motorised hang gliders as well, which are ones that tow us on into the sky too. Yep. Uh, and they sort of uh, probably about 10 years ago stopped in the competition side of making mm -hmm. hang gliders. Yep. They still make the beginner gliders and things like that yep. um, for people. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're not really high up on the list anymore. Yep. Um, they sort of went to other things. And then there's a, a company in the US called Willswing. Mm -hmm. um, they, they're quite a big company as well. And then there's uh, Icaro, which is in Italy. Yep. Um, they have a lot of good pilots there, and they've won. Their gliders have won the last handful of world championships. Really. Um, so they you know, it's it's a great product. It's yep. um, very expensive. Mhm. Mm um, and then there's one in the Ukraine called Eros, and that's pretty much it. So it's. Yeah. Right. Pretty scattered like manufacturing-wise, isn't it? It is, yeah. It helps. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've only ever flown a Moyes hang glider in my life, so yeah. <laughs> from day one. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I'm a loyal loyal ambassador, I guess. Mm, 100%. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's not really what you're flying. It's just about being up there and enjoying it. And uh, yep. uh, all, the, all the gliders today are pretty similar um, in performance and things like that, so it's not a huge huge difference every now and again a manufacturer will come out with something that you know might be just that little bit better that everybody yep. wants to get um and then a lot of people will catch up to that so uh, it doesn't take too long in, in a small industry so definitely is there is there like a a hub for the sport like obviously texas has got really good weather for it but you're saying italy has had some champions and that and obviously out of their suits out of their equipment um, is there like a hub for the sport, like where more people do it or anything? Not really. I mean... Pretty scattered as well? Uh, yeah, it's... I mean, there's hang glider pilots all over the world and yep. lots of different countries. Um, obviously, you know, US and places like that that have a bigger population have yep. more pilots. Um, Australia has, I think... I'm not sure how many hang glider pilots we got now, but... Uh, it was around five or six thousand with the paragliders. Um, yep. Not sure what the percentage is. Probably a bit. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is now, but mm. probably a thousand hang glider pilots in that five thousand right now. Yep. Um, and yeah, US is is in the ten to fifteen thousand range, um, and then obviously all throughout Europe, um, yep. you know, there's a lot. Uh, Population determines a lot of things, doesn't it? Brazil's also very big. Yep. Um, they have a lot of pilots there. 
but yeah, population is you know it's definitely the key to have more pilots. So, so is that the start of the season, Brazil? Because I think when I caught up with you on that party and that that you're heading off to Brazil not long after, is that like where it starts for a season, or what happens there? Well, to be honest, most pilots just compete in their own country. There's mm. there's not a lot that actually travel because um, it's it's generally a hobby for most people. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, and a lot of them like to do a competition or two um, on their time off from work or whatever it is. Yep. Um, go fly with the friends and try to beat them and things like that. But yeah, there's there's very few that actually travel the world um, competing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have a world championships, which is, takes place every two years, and it, and it gets moved around. It gets moved around um, the world. Yep. So uh, the last one was in Italy. Yep. The next one's supposed to be in Macedonia next year. Wow. Um, before that, we had one here in Australia. I've been in the US, Mexico. Um, so sort of each country just um, well puts in a bid if they want to host a world championships, and uh, yeah, so it travels around. And generally, that competition uh, you have to be—it's the top six pilots from each country that are allowed to compete in it. Right. So most people just try to do competitions in their in their own country yep. to um, make the the team. Yep. So that they can go to the world championships and compete. Yep. Uh, so yeah, probably ninety eight percent of pilots flying will fly in their local countries and just yep. um, try to do what they need to do to be on the Australian team or once every two years and, and then go and compete in the in the big championships overseas. Um, yeah, so, yeah, like I said, it's, it's a hobby for most people. Yeah. Um, I'm one of probably three or four in the world that get to do it as a full-time job. Mm. Um, all the other ones either work in a hang gliding manufacturing company, yep. designer or things like that that work and breathe hang gliding. Yep. Um, so they'll work in the factory building gliders, designing them and then fly here and there to represent the company. Um, you know, and their products. So wow. I guess I'm, I was one of the lucky ones from a young age to be able to be that person that got to do that and mm. still still do it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty incredible to be able to do it, to be yeah. able to do a sport you love and, you know, travel around for a long time and do it. Well, it is. And uh, obviously for me, it, you know, I, I needed sponsors for that to happen and yep. uh, I was, <laughs> tell you another good story. My, uh, when Red Bull first came out to uh, to Australia, uh, I always thought when I first saw their ads, you know, about Red Bull gives you wings, and I just thought, oh, that'd be the perfect sponsor, you know, for a hang glider pilot, you know, mm. just to to be uh, sponsored by Red Bull. And I always said that to my family, and uh, I got a younger sister who's nine years younger than me, and you know, I was probably twenty, twenty, twenty-one at the time, and. My sister was, you know, 13, 14 and I came home one day and had an email from Red Bull and, you know, it's sort of somewhere in the line stated that they've been watching me and seen me progressing through the sport and and I think I'd just become Australian champion at the time and they uh, they wanted to sponsor me. It took me about, I don't know, six to eight hours to respond to the email, you know, because I was 
didn't really know what to to respond back, you know, because I was a bit nervous. Cause mm. it was a bit of a dream of mine, and responded back and had a few emails here and there, back and forth, and and then it just kept becoming a little bit of a every night at dinner table. Have you heard from Red Bull? It's like, oh yeah, I have. And it clicked to me that uh, it was a Red Bull at Hotmail account. Oh no! And my my sister had set up a uh, a fake Red Bull account through Hotmail. And had been emailing me back and forwards as a bit of a practical joke. Oh, no. And the whole family was in on it and uh, obviously I wasn't. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Stitch up. <laughs> yeah, so it was a pretty good stitch up. It's, I, I it's do well have done. to uh, give her that one. Um, That's just brutal. Yeah, so. Because you would have, that first email, you would have sat there, type the start, delete. Type the start, delete for eight Exactly, hours. like I said, it took yeah. about six to eight hours to actually send the email. I don't know how many times I rewrote it um, and then everyone that came back, I think it was three or four correspondents I had Yeah, and uh, yeah, the whole time I was corresponding with my 13-year-old sister. Um, that, that's cruel. That was pretty cruel and uh, it's probably a couple of years later I was uh, overseas and yeah. I called home and my mum said, oh, you'll never believe who called today, Red Bull. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we've been through this one already. <laughs> yeah. You got me once. You've already got me once. I'm not falling for it. No, no, she's laughing. She's like, no, they they want you to do this event. Uh, it's a two-kilometre ocean swim and a 50-kilometre bike ride, mountain bike ride and hang glide down to the beach in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil and then a 24-kilometre run and she started laughing. She's like, I don't think you're going to be able to do all that because <laughs> <laughs> swimming and mountain biking and all that wasn't my forte, you know. I right. just like to jump off cliffs and, and lay lay around all day, you know. Right. right. <laughs> so, anyway, she's like, no, you've got to call them, you know. And I was like, oh, okay. So I eventually called and it actually was Red Bull. But she didn't quite have the story straight. I just had to do the hang gliding part. Ah, okay. And it was – there were – finding the best athlete in each sport um, yeah. from every country to compete in uh, this amazing event called Giants of Rio in Brazil. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we uh, – so we had Kai Hurst um, yeah. doing the ocean swim. Uh, we had a guy from Tasmania who was a mountain bike champion at the time, Sid Tabale. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Courtney Atkinson, who was a triathlete here on the Gold Coast. Yeah. A lot of people might know. Um, he did the running. And I did the hang gliding part. So, uh, yeah, Team Australia, team. team Australia went over there with uh, 70, I think it was, I think 40 countries and I think Brazil had 30, 30 teams in it because they were the host. What year was this, do you remember? Uh, 2004. Wow. That's um, an early relationship with Red Bull, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it wasn't a sponsorship thing. It was just they wanted me to go do this event for them yep. and, uh, you know, it was all expenses paid trip to Rio de Janeiro for five days um, yeah. to go do something that I love. It's like uh, the so extreme sport Olympics too. It was. So yeah. I was like, yeah, sign me up, you know, I'll do that. Yeah. And um, it's still to this date one of the best events I've ever done in my life. Really? Um, you know, just the opening part of it, we were sitting in a room and there was 350 athletes and you looked around the room and all of them were the best of their sports in their country. Yeah. So you're just surrounded by so much talent. Mm. Um, it was just an incredible few days there in Rio um, with, you know, the best best athletes from around the world I mean, in, awesome. in those four different sports. And that they they called home. Like that was just a phone call. Yeah. That's how it started. That's how it started. And then, 
we uh, Australia ended up winning the event. Oh, really? So we we led from start to finish. Yeah. And uh, after that, Red Bull said we want to keep you on board and uh, and sponsor you as an athlete for yourself. For yep. myself. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's my relationship started in 2004 with Red Bull, and uh, yes, yeah, so I've been pretty fortunate to yeah to have them backing me the whole time. Uh, you know, I was with them for. Uh, just finished up at the end of 2018 with them, so I did 14 years with Red Bull. That's a long, long, long yeah, relationship. Yeah, there's only yeah. Uh, a couple of other athletes that have outlasted yeah. my time at Red Bull, Mick Fanning being one of them. And Really? Is he longer? Yeah, yeah. He was, I think he started the year or two before me and he's still with them, so he's, yeah. he'd be going on 17 Seven odd years, years, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's not, not too many that have lasted that long and globally uh, yeah, no yeah that's right not just yeah. in australia but yeah. around the world there's uh you know but i guess each sport's different a lot of a lot of sports you you know you get two or three years at your peak and mm. and that's you know that's you so yep. um i'm just fortunate that hang gliding is not one of those sports that it's really age dependent and things yep. like that you know i'm still at the top of my game and uh yep. you know nothing's changed really just uh yeah, so, you know, I was some of the videos you said you've seen of me flying, a lot of those things were projects that I did with Red Bull. Um, yep. You know, the Morning Glory Cloud uh, is probably something that you've seen. I want to touch on that, yeah. And uh, That's North Queensland? That is, yeah, up in the, the Cape, uh, up in a small town called Burketown. Yeah. Um, so that was one project I, I did with Red Bull, uh, the first one I did. And, you know, it was, it was a huge project and it was a dream of mine from from a young kid when I uh, learned to hang glide. I had a couple friends that uh, had been up there and were one of the first ones to fly this yeah. this weather phenomena that we call the morning glory, which is like a roll cloud uh, that that comes travelling through the sky at speeds of 60 kilometres per hour. And it's, it's literally like a giant wave up in the sky uh, that you can surf in a hang glider. Wow. And... I just remember these guys telling me their stories of flying it and, you know, this was back in the 90s when they didn't have very good camera equipment and things like that and they used to take the old 35mm camera, you know, a little yep. roll of film up there with them and hope that they got some good shots on their little yep. $20 cameras, you know, and, <laughs> uh, you, you know, the best they got was a couple selfie shots you could see of just this big grin in the in the foreground and this yep. little wide elusive cloud going stretching as far as you could see you know and yep. um yeah just i could just see it in their eyes that it was by far the best thing they'd ever done in their life you know and when red bull approached me and said well you know what's something that you just want to do with your sport and something you've dreamed of i was like this is it because i i can tell it's it's something that i'm never going to forget you know so mm. uh yeah we worked on that project and and went up there and managed after two years to to uh, capture this morning glory footage and you it's know, incredible we obviously with the help of red bull we had the best camera crew in in the world there and they flew directors over from new york and camera guys from canada and yep. they just got the best of the best from around the world and you know i don't know they probably spent around half a million dollars on that project and but it's the footage is just insane mm. um and it's you know, I still do interviews ten years later for that for that mm. one flight. You know, because it's people see it and just go, "Wow, that's just mind blowing." And to be able to capture that 
um, yeah, like they did with with the amazing footage, um, was obviously what you know what I was able to sell them on on the prod project because I said if we get this cloud and and you get the footage of it, it's just going to be mind blowing to everybody, you know, and yeah. I, and I just knew that by talking to my friends and seeing seeing it in their eyes, seeing you know. Their and, face, yeah. and uh, you know, when I look back at the interviews that they did with me after flying it the next day and stuff, you know, you can still see it. Like, yeah. just like, yeah, that was exactly the same look they had when when I spoke to them about it. That's you know, so, so cool, hey? um, yeah. So obviously, the relationship I had with Red Bull over the years has allowed me to do amazing things with you know with the sport too. And. Yep. Um, allowed me to, to travel and do what I love um, along with Moyes. So I've been pretty fortunate there. How does a project start with Red Bull? Say, say for that one, did, like they, did they literally come to you and say, what, what's the craziest, not the craziest thing, but what's something you want to do? Is that what yeah, happens? as an athlete uh, with Red Bull, we, we have to give them a couple of um, ideas every year on something yep. that we'd love to do. Wow. And, uh, you know, we... In a detailed report, we'll sort of write down what what it is and um, how we think we can go about it, and what we you know whether it's a world record or whether it's yep. just something that's going to be super cool that nobody's ever done before. Um, they're obviously looking for things that stand out and that are unique. Mm-hmm. Um, if they like the idea, then they present it to the international board. Yep, um, because a lot of these projects require international funding um, through Red Bull. And then um, if they can get it through through the board and the international headquarters, yep. generally it's a, it's a go, go, go. So it's sort of just coming up with these different ideas and projects that, you know, whether it might be depending on the sports, you know, just something that's just mind-blowing or whether yep. it's achieving a world record or something that they can, you know, leverage and get yep. good media out of and and help us athletes, you know, live a dream and mm. do what we want to do. So they've it's, been uh, tremendous, you know, in, in regards to that over the years. Um, it's propelled all the sports that I love, you know, like having the energy drinks, Red Bull, and that come into it. The content that you see coming out of it is the be- best generated content in the world. It is, yeah. They, By far. Obviously, they, you know, they, they're very good at, picking and choosing the projects that they do yep. and, and what they they put out there on the media. And mm. like you said, I mean, it's some of the footage uh, from the different sports that they cover around the world is just, you just look at it, you know, whether it's Travis Rice going down on a freaking snowboard down in Canada and doing massive jumps or drops and just going, wow, that's... It's yeah. yeah, no. There's no way you'd strap me onto that snowboard and have me doing that, you know. Oh, I wouldn't do what you do. I wouldn't do what he does. <laughs> yeah, uh, we all wouldn't do what someone else, else does. does. <laughs> so, was that a two-year project? It was. Uh, yeah. The first year we went up there, we, we did sort of a reconnaissance trip. Um, yeah, okay. So with a pretty small crew, mm-hmm. um, just to see what was going to be needed, hundred percent for for the major project. Yep. Uh, we spent two weeks up there. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know Burktown. It's one of the um, great great fishing spot for barramundi. It's the mm-hmm. capital in Australia for barramundi fishing. Is it really? Um, that's what they say. Yeah. It's a town of 200 people and it's probably the most isolated town in Australia. Mm. So it's uh, obviously doing a project, uh, flying something like the Morning Glory Cloud that was 
um, unpredictable, um, didn't know what was going to happen to me. Yep. Uh, there was a lot of things that uh, when you're with a company like Red Bull that uh, you got to got to tick a lot of boxes uh, for for safety. Um, yep. You know, we need helicopters. We need this. We need that. Uh, not only just being in the air, but you know, twenty foot long crocodiles in that area too. So, yeah. <laughs> just even when I hit the ground, uh, the ground, I had to have sort of you know s- strategy plans and and things like that. So. Uh, it was it was a big project. Um, yep. And yeah, we went up there for two weeks the first time. We saw a few morning glory clouds. Um, none of them actually made it to the land. Mm-hmm. Only one in four actually come in from the sea. Uh, so we spent two weeks up there and never never got to fly one. And then they kind of went back to the drawing board again because we'd already spent a fair bit of money. And yep. they said, are you sure this thing even exists? I said, it exists. It's... But the reason it's, you know, what it is is because it is rare and it's unpredictable. And yeah. um, so they said, all right, if you, if you still came, we'll, we'll go ahead and do it. And, and we got the, we got, you know, they didn't, we got a Centerflex camera over from New Zealand because there wasn't even one in this country. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of money. Uh, and the biggest probably pressure during the event was, or the project was waking up every morning going out the salt flats in the dark, setting all the equipment up and uh, waiting for the sun to come up to see if there was this cloud coming for me and seeing blue skies and mm. seeing everyone's face look at me going, hmm, are you sure this thing exists? Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I don't want to throw money terms out there, but it was, you know, the standby cost for every day we were up there was was quite expensive with, yep. with the crew we had and the helicopters and Centerflex camera. I think the camera was $5,000 a day just... Just for hire. Just for hire, the camera. Yep. So You start to add it up, you, you know there's a lot of money there. There, there was a lot yep. of money there every day and uh, I think it was the fifth day mm. that uh, this cloud came rolling in and, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, there was a lot of joy that night. We finally got to have a drink and... Uh, oh, I could imagine the relief. The relief of yep. knowing that... Uh, we got the footage that uh, yep. and the flight that I had always dreamed of, you know. So, so how did they capture that? Were they in a chopper? Some of the footage, or how how did they capture? Yeah, so we had the chopper with the Cineflex camera. Yeah, uh, which uh, that camera is mind blowing of what it can do. Yeah, um, you can be five kilometers away from that thing and they can see what you had for breakfast, you know. So. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty amazing camera, um, which is good because hang gliders and helicopters don't really mix that well in the same air. The, the downdraft that the helicopter puts out, I don't really want that to be anywhere close to me. So yeah, cool. it was yeah. important to have a, a good camera on board. Um, so they can keep a, a good distance. So they can keep a good distance away yep. from me. Um, it was just one thing I didn't want to have to try and deal with while I was trying to fly this unpredictable wave in the sky you know was this is this your equivalent flying around to, me your equivalent to big wave surf isn't it it is yeah Basically. it was you know it's a 2000 foot wave up in the sky you know so damn <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome uh and then we had a uh a stills photographer up in the um ultralight the dragonfly that yep. towed me into the sky mm-hmm. um and i had another cameraman up in, a, in another aircraft as well because you wouldn't want it captured any differently no. Like Plus, we had a whole camera crew on the ground capturing the, capturing. the ground stuff. So it was yep. there was two camera teams, um, yep. I think thirteen crew in total. Yeah, right. For me to go 
have a bit of fun. Um, <laughs> Jeez, and, how, how do you deal with that pressure? Like that must be a lot of pressure. You know, I was, yeah, it was a lot of pressure. Like I said, I, you know, it was, I really felt it every morning when, when the sun came up and the cloud wasn't yep. there and everyone would sort of stand there and look at me and uh, i got to call the office now and tell them that uh, that it didn't happen again day. today. It's yep. going to be another day. Um, and that's kind of when I felt the pressure. Yep. Um, but, you know, you you got you to live your dreams and yep. just go to bed that night and Get dream about waking day. up and seeing that cloud again in the morning and uh, sure enough, it, it turned up. So At day five, like that was obviously the perfect, like you couldn't want it any better, I'm guessing. No, I mean, it obviously it, it adds to the story, um, yep. being up there and yep. trying to fill in the time, waiting for this thing to appear and, you know, mm. and then it finally happening. It was, you know, it was pretty much a production's perfect timeline, you know, like yep. it's, but it was totally unpredictable at the same time. So, yeah. it, <laughs> but it worked out, it worked out great. Yep. You know, we, we'd, we'd planned on two weeks up there. Okay. Yep. And uh, after the fifth day we got it and then the very next day I got another one. So we got. So you got a backup. We, we got it, yeah, and yep. that was even scarier than the first one. So why was it bigger, or was it just? Uh, so each each cloud is different, yep. um, depending on the weather and the way it forms. And yep. The second one went all the way to the ground, mm-hmm. so the, it was all foggy in the morning, and we almost didn't get it because the the aircraft couldn't take off because of the fog, mm. um, and just. Literally, like moments before the cloud got to me, there was a bit of a break, and the the, the aircraft was able to fly out from the the airport, uh, land where I was on the salt flats. Uh, I was just in time to hook onto the tow rope, and we literally took off, probably, you know, less than five hundred meters before the cloud got to us, yeah. um, and we took off into the bottom of this thing. And we did a U-turn straight away because it was coming at us at 50 k's an hour. Um, and I kind of kind of got covered in a little bit of cloud. Um, I'd like to say it wasn't illegal, but it was probably slightly illegal. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of popped out and I kind of looked behind me and it was like I just towed into a literally a 2,500 foot wave. It was just this big wall of white like right behind me all the way up to about 2,500 feet. And I just, I looked over my shoulder and just went, fuck, that is the biggest wave I've seen in my life. And and I couldn't see the ground. So that's pretty much, as a hang glider pilot, so, you know, it's your worst nightmare not being able mm. to see what you're flying over because we don't have an engine and we need to, we need to be able to see our landing field. Yeah. Um, and it stayed like that for about an hour. So I, I actually got to the top of this cloud and... Uh, I released from the ultralight and soon discovered that there wasn't that much lift in front of it. Mm. So the speed I had to fly, I had to stay in front of this this wave cloud basically, yeah. uh, didn't leave me much um, as far as the updraft went. So I was basically just maintaining the whole time flying along the front of this, a bit like sort of tethering on the top of a, a breaking wave, you know, just yeah. waiting to go over the falls the whole time, you know, just... Wow. So, uh, yeah, it took about an hour before I could see the ground again and um, 
Yeah, that was that was pretty scary. Arab. Gives me chills just thinking about it now. Yeah, like, well, I mean, it still gives me chills because yeah. I can close my eyes and and put myself right back in that same spot again. You know, um, just with the memory. So, it's one of those things that, um, you know, people say, "What's the scariest thing you've ever done in hang gliding?" That's that was probably that That's day. It. Wow. Just, just because it lasted so long, and you know, a lot of our scary moments are yeah. 10, 20, 30 seconds of "Oh shit, why did I do that?" sort yeah. of thing to. That was an ooh, hour, an hour of it yeah. going. Oh my god! And especially when you can't see anything. And on that particular day, there was I think ten or eleven clouds lined up, so they came in and sat like a cyclone yeah. swell that day. And uh, the helicopter got a shot from about ten thousand feet, and you could just see these lines of clouds. And you know, obviously, I was just this little speck on this cloud. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a. You realise how small you are, hey? You do, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I look back on that footage and I just, you just see this little dot and, you know, or they, they, they zoom in on me and then they zoom out and I just disappear and I just turn yep. into this little speck and this this cloud just goes as far as you can see. I mean, the longest one, they think it records about a 1,000 kilometres long, mm. you know, which is, Bits. yeah, well, Brisbane to Sydney, you know, there's right. one cloud in front just moving through, yep. you know, so... It's pretty pretty incredible uh, to see it with your own eyes and, and to be up there in the hang glider flying it. And I mean, these, you know, I told you that the crew came from all around the world yep. and all these guys were the best at what they do, yep. um, you know, in action sports, documentaries yep. and things like that. And they've done, I mean, just talking to them, they've done some amazing yep. shoots over their lifetime, you know. And yep. they, every single one of them said it was in their top three. Uh, best things that they've ever experienced. Really? Even the ones that were just on the ground mm. and got to watch it go by um, standing there. But the ones that actually got to be up in, in one of the aircraft flying yeah. and filming me, just they were all just, that was one of the best things. Special day. It was a very special yep. day for, for everybody, not just yep. me. So, um, wow. yeah. That's, yeah, it doesn't get much bigger than that, I guess. that's No, that was, I mean, and I guess for... For years after that project, Red Bull kept saying, well, what's the next big project? Because that one was... You nailed it. <laughs> you know, it was like... It still is, the, I think, the biggest project that Red Bull's ever done in this country. Um, wow. And they always wanted, what's the next morning glory? What's, you know? Yeah. Like, yep. what, do you, what can you do next that's going to that's gonna even top that one, you know? And it was hard to find another project that could beat that because it was mm. so unique and special that um you know and the footage was just yeah they just nailed it they just nailed it yeah. yeah so um i did do one more project with them um about five six years ago down yeah. in the great australian bite all right we'll scratch this off what i've written down let's <laughs> <laughs> gonna ask you um yep. and that was uh i went down to uh try and break three world records yep uh there were speed records mm-hmm. um over um an out and return distance. So yep. I wanted to, to fly 50 kilometres out and 50 kilometres back, making it a 100-kilometre out and return. Yeah. And it was, yeah, the speed record for, for these flights. So I was trying for the one, the two, and 300-kilometre out and return speed records. Yep. Um, and they were already set in this location um, probably 15 years earlier. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, a, a couple of the top pilots... Um, one of them was multiple world champion. Yep. Um, they they were returning from a competition in Western Australia and decided to drive back and uh, 
because they'd heard about this place and they wanted to fly it. And, um, yeah, they went and set a, a couple of two or three world records there. Yeah. Um, and I knew with the, you know, things had changed with equipment and things had gotten better and that it would be, you know, pretty good odds for me to, yeah. to go down there and, and have a good attempt at breaking a, a few of these world records um, with Red Bull. And it was another challenging uh I guess project because I'm flying along the Great Australian Bight and it's it's you know basically a 300 foot sheer cliff into sharky waters below. Probably our most shark infested waters. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, uh, people say, "What's the Great Australian Bight?" And they say, "It's where the shark took a bite out of Australia." You know, and pretty much. <laughs> that's kind of what it's it looks like. A crazy so. place. <laughs> um, so, was this a project you approached them for as well? It was. You know, like I, I said, yeah. it was same deal. Same deal. They just. Every year I kept trying to come up with different projects yep. um, and this is one that made it through the books. Yep. Um, and, yeah, uh, I went down there, had you know, had the full-on crew again because of what I was doing. I, I trained for three months here on the Gold Coast um, yep. with uh, a fellow Ironman, uh, Wes Berg. Um, he did a lot of training with me because uh, it was something different from the day in day out of hang gliding that I normally do, mm. um, whereas I was going to be flying at high speeds for a long period of time, yeah. so I sort of did a lot of training um, for that to try and you know normally in a competition day I would spend ten minutes of the day flying at high speed, which is the the final glide into into the finish point. Yep. Whereas this was going to be you know potentially hours. Trying to get fast as possible. Trying to trying to fly at high speed down a down a cliff in strong winds, um, and then I had the water training as well because I didn't have a lot of options. If I if I committed to the project, um, one of my landing options was the water. Yuck. Which you know is not ideal in a hang glider when you're all strapped in and in a in a cocoon type thing in a harness and. Yep. Um, so I did, I did a fair bit of training in the Miami pool, um, uh, with my equipment. Yeah, right. Jumping in, um, and and trying to release and that. Trying to get out of the harness and all that stuff under the water. Um, and I was quite amazed on, you know, probably the first time I did it, I, I probably would have drowned. Really? Because I, I didn't get out. Yeah. Like I had to come up for air before I could, you know, get out because yep. I... And then, you know, after weeks of that, I was out of the harness and swimming 20 minutes down the pool under the water. So mm. um, things like that that I had to do for the project um, in case of emergency, obviously. It wasn't yep. what I wanted to do, but... That's <laughs> no, just that. <laughs> it, it was just that fact that I was going to be flying over over the water and um, for such a long period of time. And Yeah. And you know, we once again they they went out and got the best crew available. You know, I had a I had a diver on board in the helicopter. I said, "How did you get the job?" He says, "I'm the fastest swimmer in Australia." Wow, rescue so you, swimmer. I said, "Well, that's that's gives me some." So you get the elite of the elite when you're a Red Bull, don't you? Like well, that. yeah, especially for projects like this. Yeah, um, obviously they safety safety is their number one. Yeah, um, the project's number two, and. And and having uh, having it all work out at the end is so. How is many all crew? Bonus. How many crew was out there for that? Because yeah. um, you had your family there. For one I thing. did. My parents came down to visit. Yep. Uh, also, the my hang gliding sponsor, Moyes, came down oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. 
Um, was it? Uh, is it Eucla? Is that Eucla. How it's That's yep. where you base yourself, I'm guessing. For the week it is, or, yeah. yeah. It's just a roadhouse on the. Is that it? On the uh, West Australian, South Australian border. It's yep. about 400 kilometres from any town, mm-hmm. uh, either way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a population of 35 people. Wow, so that's pretty, pretty small place. Pretty remote, yeah. So he's probably doubled it. Yeah, we we definitely brought a few, uh, yep. a few people to town. I think we had about ten or so there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we had the chopper pilot, we had camera guru, we had the the rescue diver. You got weather support too, didn't you? Like you had weather people or something there. We did, yeah. yeah. Uh, we had uh, had someone from Ubimat. Right. Which is actually a weather company that Red Bull, yeah, started uh, started up. Was uh, oh, it part of a Red Bull thing? It was, yeah. They started it for their Formula One race cars, really, and B uh, eights and stuff. So they, uh, it was a weather company that they founded, and one of those things too. They got the best of the best from everyone around the world and put them all in one room and started a, a weather company up so that they could have the best. Weather predictions for the for the races for the races. Do they uh, still have it? Do you know? I don't know. Actually, I haven't. I haven't. I really don't know. I would imagine they do. Yeah. Um, haven't heard much. I thought they were sort of going to become a bit more, you know, known throughout the country and stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I went down to their office in Melbourne. It's just a small office, and uh, they just had the best of the best from all around the world, and they were all sitting there looking at computers and. Wow. Um, crunching the data. So, yeah, I had the help from them as well. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I pretty much knew what I needed. But mm. uh, it was nice to have a bit of backup. Uh, they weren't actually on location. They were just remote. So I would get an, an email every morning from them with their predictions on what they thought was going to happen yep. and the predictions for the next few days. Um, so it was it was good to have a company like that with great minds, obviously, there analyzing the weather and telling me what their thoughts were as well. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so like I said, not all the crew were on site. I had some remote as well, yeah, uh, help for the project. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get great weather down there, and uh, it it all came down to one day that was actually flyable, and uh, it wasn't the perfect day, but. Uh, I started, I started bright and early because yep. I had this dream that possibly I could do multiple world records on the one day. Uh, my intention was to do one record a day mm-hmm. um, over a couple of weeks while we were down there. Yeah, right. Hoping for a few days of good weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we were coming to the end of the, you know, the time and it was just one day that I had a chance of doing, doing the record. So... I decided to go for the 300-kilometre flight, uh, go for the big one because it seemed, even though it was the longest flight, it seemed like the easiest one for me to try and break speed-wise. Um, so obviously, you know, we wanted to come back with a world record um, after putting all the money into it and time yeah. and training. and um, So, yeah, I took off on the 300-kilometre flight and uh, it got pretty intense about halfway through. The wind, uh, I'd actually outrun the wind because I, I started so early and uh, I was getting very close to the water and potentially doing the the nightmare that I trained for. Um, but, uh, yeah, managed to, to stay up and 
I got to the turning point, which was the halfway point where I turned around and started coming back and then I, I flew back into the the weather front. So it got windier again and uh, yeah. it was happy days. Five hours later, I made it back home. So 300 k's in five hours. Yeah, five hours, 18 minutes, I think. And a world record. And a world record, yeah. yeah. It smashed the, the previous world record. Yep. Um, and yeah, landed... Uh, did a couple of interviews, had a little bite to eat, yep. smashed down a can of Red Bull and decided to take off and try for another world record and I was running out of time so I just uh, thought I'd do the 100km flight and yep. and uh, took off on the 100km flight and uh, a little over an hour later, I think an hour and seven minutes, I came back, um, so I averaged over 90 kilometers an hour. That's so fast. Um, the previous record was about 70Ks an hour. Yeah. So... Yeah, I managed two world records in uh, in the one one day. Um, you know, like I said, it was about six and a half hours of flying time, and yep. I was I was pretty exhausted. But uh, as you can imagine, it was uh, it was a pretty lively little roadhouse in Nuclear on uh, on that <laughs> night. <laughs> Turned it on. Yes, yeah, uh, something about breaking two world records in one day is, yeah, is not something that anyone else has ever done before. And uh, incredible. It's probably something I'll never see again in, in my career. So it was uh, yeah. there was definitely a lot of celebrations to uh, to go around. Have they um, are they still current the records? They are. They're still there. Yep. They're the only two that I still got. Is it really? Mm. Yeah, mm. I've, so, I've broken four world records, and yep. they're the only two that still stand. So yeah, I don't think they're going away in a hurry mm. um, because it's such a unique location for for that flight. That uh, yep. The only way they're going to go away is if somebody goes back to that location and yep. and beats what I did. Has uh, a better day or something like that. Better day, um, better equipment maybe, you know, yep. if over the years things change again. But, uh, you know, having that support that Red Bull gave me with the helicopter and the diver and all this stuff yep. allowed me to push the limits more than, you know, the people that originally set the world records there because... They would have been in the middle of nowhere, um, yep. trying to maintain their heights and stay as high as they can to not flying down at cliff level height. You know, racing as fast as they could to mm. to break. You know, the, there the was no world speed. record really at the time when they did it, so yep. they didn't have any huge incentive to, to be pushed as far as exactly. But mm. I think uh, I really don't see those world records going away in a hurry. Um, what about the distance one? Do you reckon that's the 762 that he got? Yeah. Is that, is that achievable? Oh, for sure. Yeah? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a fantastic day. Um, right, yeah. Unfortunately, you just need, you need so many things to line up. Mm. Um, you need wind, you need some good conditions. It wasn't, you know... It wasn't the best day I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. But there was a lot of things that were good, like because of all the different things you need. They weren't 10 out of 10s, but they were 7 out of 10 on, yeah. on all the boxes, you know, which yeah. is important. Sometimes you can have 10 out of 10 on uh, 3 out of 5 of the boxes, but that's not going to do it either. So, um, yeah, there's definitely going to be days out there. I think 8... I think we could do another 100Ks on what, what's there now, um, especially with the equipment we got these days. That was 
back in 2012. So yeah. things have gotten a little bit better again. And yeah, I, I, I believe over 800 is possible. Yeah. And uh, it hasn't... Uh, it hasn't slipped my mind. I had, I did go back uh, a few years ago with Red Bull in the USA actually and did a project over there on yeah. attempting the world record um, and they, they came out and uh, it was actually on um, uh, the Weather Channel mm-hmm. in the US. It, they sort of picked it up and put it on on their thing and uh, it's a great documentary for people to watch. It's called The uh, Wind Rider. And uh, it basically really explains what we do and how we try to find these thermals and fly long distance. And they did an amazing job at um, at sort of covering that and showing it to people. And mm. yeah, sort of. I didn't. I didn't unfortunately have any good weather while I was there uh, with the crew. Yeah. Um, but I did a what was it? Three hundred kilometer flight one day, three hundred something kilometer, and. Yep. They watched me take off and they were there for when I landed. And, you know, they'd been chasing me all day in the car, six or seven hours. And, mm-hmm. you know, just even the look on their faces, you know, they've been driving all day watching me and tracking me and to watch me land, you know, that far, you know, six, seven hours later, you know, yeah. a couple hundred miles away from where I started, they were all just like, wow, that's... That's incredible. That's incredible, you know, yeah. like... Um, but, yeah, like I said, I didn't, I didn't get any world records that day, but... Yeah. Uh, they did a good job of showing what, what I'm out there trying to achieve. And was that a Red Bull crew, or was that the Weather Channel crew that was behind Red Bull Project Weather Channel crew? It was or both. a bit of both. So yeah. it was mostly Red Bull. Yeah. Right. And they had uh, two or three people from the Weather Channel mm-hmm. that were doing the documentary type stuff. So yep. um, they were doing their little show on the side, basically. Yep. And had access to all the Red Bull footage. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. the Rebel guys still, like yep. they do, they put the top guys out there, the camera crew, and yep. they were the ones out getting all the all the shots and capturing the moments while the the Weather Channel guys were filming ants on the side of the road and talking about Texas and how dry it is and <laughs> why it's good for, for yep. what I'm doing and things like that. So, yep. um, Getting that real but, detail. Yeah, so they, yep. they kind of, you know, the crews sort of film different things, but... Um, yeah, it was pretty interesting to see because I, I was a little bit concerned on how it was going to turn out, you know, listening to the to the Weather Channel do their little interviews and stuff. I was like, ooh. How's this go? How's this going to work, you know? Um, but, yeah, it, it turned out really good. So I was, even Red Bull was, they were a bit concerned at the time uh, mm. throughout the project, just thinking uh, this could have been a waste of time. But uh, yeah. it got shown on the Weather Channel, you know, as a, a 48 minute long documentary and yeah it got aired and aired many many times over there in the US and yep. uh yeah rebel was very impressed with uh, how it turned out and mm. you know it's kind of a perfect thing for them because it's a third party showing off their product you know it's not it wasn't red bull pushing that push it. Yep. um it was a weather channel which is you know it certainly fits into our sport because yep. weather is very it's what we depend on, you know. Part, so yeah. it's a huge major part of our sport, and to have them uh, go out and and do a documentary on someone like me trying to break a world record and yep. um, was I think entertaining for a lot of viewers. A lot of viewers didn't really, you know, thought that they didn't shouldn't have been involved with Red Bull and blah blah blah. Right. Um, 
but you're always going to have haters out there, you know. For so. sure, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, a lot of people saw it and just really loved it. So that's cool. Yeah, you were doing. You were saying you did film production stuff here before, like the day before you got the call. What were you doing? I had a good friend um, that uh, used to work in the film industry. He was a unit production manager. Okay. Yeah. Um, for a lot of the films here on the Gold Coast. Yep. Um, and I was always, before I was with Red, with Red Bull, um, Moyes was sort of looking after me a little bit and I would uh, sort of make money and go and spend it and come back and find work to, to fill in with, yep. uh, whether it was building or this yep. and that, just different jobs. And one of the guys said, oh, we need a few fill-ins. Um, I'm looking for a few guys to just come in and help out. Uh, for a few days, uh, it was a film that was being made down at SeaWorld at the time, and uh, he said, oh, "Would you be interested?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to come down for a few days and check it out, you know." And so I sort of just went down to help him, you know. The, the unit guys they basically look after the um, all the the caravans, all the stuff. They set up the locations and yep. um, clean the toilets and empty the bins and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, I did that for a few days and he said, oh, would you like to stay for the rest of the shoot? And I said, yeah, sure. So I kind of got in that way and um, yep. I kind of worked my way up through different jobs, um, always somewhat attached to the to the unit guys. Um, but then I got into um, uh, production assistants. I was cast driver. So yep. I used to go and pick up all the... The actors from the hotels and bring them to the location and look after them. Mm-hmm. Um, did a little bit of third, fourth assistant directing type stuff, um, but basically my, most of my my job was to keep everybody happy all day on on location on the sets and yep. um, just do whatever needed to be done. And mm. yeah, I did a lot with the actors. I looked after Steve Irwin for a while on the uh, Crocodile Hunter. Really, uh, he was good fun. Good guy. Good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, we did we did the Croc Hunter, did a few di- different films around the area, and uh, yep. yeah, got to meet a lot of the the famous actors. And I really didn't, I you know, growing up as a skateboarder and having a half pipe in my backyard, I never really watched TV very much. Um, yep. So I didn't really, I didn't really know any of them. Like, mm. Everyone's like, oh my god, you're working with someone. So I'd be like, oh, what's he do? Oh, you know, he's off as this TV show or that. Yeah, they're on Neighbours or Home and Away. And I was like, um. Okay, good for them, you know, like... People so, are people. People yeah. are people, exactly. So uh, I had a really good relationship with all the actors because I didn't... Yeah. I wasn't that person that was always like, oh, I've got a T-shirt here. Do you think you could sign this for my grandma or, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. It was just... They always just wanted to talk to me about hand gliding because they found that much more fascinating than uh, anything else, you know. So, yeah, um, yeah, I built a good relationship up. I did a lot with uh, David Wenham. Um you know, even to the point where a lot of these guys would call me up and say, oh, I'm flying back in on Sunday night, Gold Coast Airport. I know you're not working, but I don't really want to catch a taxi. Can you come and pick me up and I'll pay you to hmm. take me to the hotel and, you know, yep. uh, just sort of private deals and things like that. And Some of them say, oh, I'm going home to Sydney for the weekend. Here's the keys to my unit, you know, yep. in Surface Paradise. It's all yours and... 20-year-old boy was like, yeah, sounds great. This. I'll yeah. take that. Thanks. I'm coming so. down from Beachmont to surface. <laughs> exactly. Got to yeah. go to an apartment for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed working in the film yep. industry. That was, um, 
I guess it was the same sort of job every day but different. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, kind of a little bit like hang gliding. You just – you know what you're there for but you never know what's going to happen. You know? It's just, just going to vary, you know, be yep. different every single day you go there. So um, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Do you think that helped you on your Red Bull projects? It did, ha- I think. knowledge? I think knowing a lot of – yeah, um, a lot of people – when I do interviews, they say, oh, you've done this before. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I did a, quite a few feature films when when I was in the industry and um, obviously done a lot of interviews over the years with Red Bull and mm. different things. Uh, so it makes it easy when I do stuff with TV and definitely interviews and stuff around the world um, yeah. to, uh, to do these things. But, yeah, it was, you know, I would not hesitate to jump straight back into the movie industry again. I, I really enjoyed that and... Yeah, just hanging out with everyone, and it, it did make it hard to watch the films afterwards. I'm not going to lie. Um, really, you know, just to sit down and go, man, that took like two days to film that one scene. You know, it's like, yeah. But it was pretty cool to see how it turns into a movie at the same time. You know, yep. it's like you don't really, or at least I didn't really see the big picture. Obviously, um, yep. when you're doing it, it's just another scene here and there, and you're mm. going here and doing this and that, and. And then to see it all chopped up into a movie at the end, it was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. It was somebody's dream that they yep. they wanted and they wrote it down and filmed it and made it all happen. And Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Mm. Pretty crazy. That especially, you know, you look at all the good directors, for instance. There's a script writer that's written something. Then all of a sudden you've got to give that to a director to put that into vision. Like that's yeah. a, a massive responsibility. Oh, for know? sure. So, so I obviously didn't see much of that being young and, and new into the mm. – into it um but yeah like like i said it was pretty cool to see the movies but at the same time it was like uh so fake i remember that part you know i was yeah i was, I was standing just over there you know when they yep. filmed that <laughs> it's funny isn't it yeah so, it would be diff- definitely funny where do you see the sport hang gliding going oh that's a good question i mean it, it's obviously been it's been dying off slowly uh, every year mm. um especially over the last 10 years uh, but, I mean, I hope that it doesn't die completely because, you know, it's just it's one of those sports that is it's just amazing when you're up there and, yep. and to, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard, I guess, for me, like just travelling the world, knowing that, you know, millions of people have travelled the world, been to the countries I've been to, but knowing that none of them have seen the world like I have, um, you know, whether it's flying in the Pyrenees in Spain and flying along a ridge and all of a sudden, you know, freaking 50 vultures take off that are 10-foot wingspan right next to you off a cliff because you scared them with your shadow or, you know, just things I've seen from up there. It's just like those memories are irreplaceable and, and you know, I'd, I'd obviously hate to see the sport die. It's uh, it's just it's just so amazing and unique that... Um, but at the same time, if uh, if these manufacturers can't can't keep the doors open, it's it's going to make it hard for it to yeah. to stay alive. And uh, basically, yeah, we just need to get more instructors out there because you know there's no reason no reason why there's people out there that wouldn't want to hang glide. Uh, they just haven't experienced it, you know. Mm. And if they did, they would they would just go, yeah, that's something I want to do. So that's something I really like, like the times that we've been together and that. You're always talking. Come up, do this. Like, you you try and get people in. Like, you know, we had obviously the other week with, with Emma. Come up, come have a flight. You'll learn. You'll you'll enjoy it. And you, 
uh, you promote the sport, not like you're trying to promote the sport, but you do it in such a way of like once you're up there, you won't regret it, you know. Um, like I think I would because I'm so scared of flying. Because you say, come up, I'm, like, I'm too heavy, I'm not going up. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I think it's a really cool thing. Like it's the only way that more instructors or more people are going to, you know, you need to have that base for people to get up there, I guess, don't you? You do. I mean, you know, like you said, we, we do need to have more more instructors close to the population. Yep. Uh, that's obviously a hard thing now too because cities are expanding and mm. it's hard to, to have an air park or something like that close to to uh, a spot. Uh, we've got one now out near Canungra uh, that's sort of just about set up, um, which will be good because it will be an hour from Brisbane, 45 yep. minutes from the Gold Coast. And people will be able to come down, experience a tandem flight, something like that, um, and just you know see for their own eyes and just go, oh wow, yeah, that's that is really cool. Mm. Know, that is that is something that I wouldn't mind doing. Um, but I think a lot of people still see it as an extreme sport and yep. and quite risky, um, which it was back in its day uh, when before equipment was certified and tested and home built and all those yep. things. Um, out of bamboo and plastic, you know, people jumping off cliffs wow. with it and, yeah, and dying. You know, there was a lot of deaths in the early days and yep. now that the equipment is, is all certified and, you know, designed much better, it's, you know, it's a, it's a whole different sport, so. And and people, like it's like the motorbike thing with people who are like, oh, you ride, they're scary. But you don't go on it, you go on a piece of equipment that's good. You don't go on something that's bad. To, to crash you know what i mean like if you're going up in the sky you're going to have good equip, equipment exactly you're not jumping off a, off a cliff on something that isn't safe no you'd be crazy too exactly so but i guess it's happened in the past though it has yeah. um obviously many years ago um, mm. but yeah everything's very well designed now the equipment yep. and um it's very regulated the sport you gotta have yep. your members and you gotta have the training and all this stuff. So it's uh, once you've done it the right way, it's it's quite a safe sport. Mm. Um, from in my eyes, anyway. For uh, sure. Obviously, a lot of people don't see it that way. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess it's hard to predict where hang gliding is going to go. Um, like I said, a lot of people have gone to paragliding. Even a lot of yep. hang glider pilots are now started paragliding. I I don't want to admit that I have started in the the last month or so trying my luck on a paraglider as well. Just just for a bit more of a challenge, um, just because there's very few hang gliders left flying around here on on a consistent basis, um, and I, don't know, I just thought I'd try something a little different, uh, yep. just to see what all the fuss is about. But is it just fun? Personally, I don't think so. Okay. No, it's uh, well, it's just much slower. Yeah. Uh, you're sitting down, so it's a little bit more comfortable. Uh, but everybody knows Superman doesn't fly sitting down. No. Yeah, it? it's he's always laying down when he's flying through the sky. So That's right. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's just different. Yeah, okay. Um, but it's obviously you know I've I'm doing quite well in it already, but it's because I've got so much experience in the air. It, mm. Just because you know I'm flying, it's like putting a professional surfer onto a bodyboard, you know, and letting them go he's going to know where to paddle he's going to know where to paddle he's going to know where to sit he's going to know how to ride the wave he might not know exactly how to use the board minor elements yeah Yeah, the minor elements but uh, he's going to know what he's doing out there still you know so um, 
yeah, I guess for me it's just a, just a bit of a change and uh, just giving these paraglides a bit of a hard time basically. Just, for sure. Just going out there and yeah, beating them all on, on my beginner wing that they've given me to fly and yeah, just uh, showing them that it's, yeah. It's still experience. Still got the experience. So, yep. uh, <laughs> so that's been a little bit of fun. Oh, uh, cool. Just, yeah, I think a lot. We just with this whole COVID nineteen stuff, we haven't been able to to fly cross country and stuff. Um, yeah, just our club and made some rules and things like that. So, for me, after seven thousand hours of hang gliding, it gets a little bit boring just to take off and fly around and yeah. land back where I started from because um, yeah. I've done that thousands of time at my home site. So, mm. uh, I just thought I'd try something a little different to yep. to have a bit of fun with and uh, annoy some others bit. and yeah. Yep. Maybe try to talk some of the paragliders back into hang gliding because uh, yeah. they don't know what they're missing out on. That's right. They're up there, but uh, it's a different field. It's it's a, yeah exactly. So and are you gonna are you going to continue competing? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just globally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just home right now, obviously, because can't travel and yeah. uh, otherwise I'd be uh, well, where would I be? I'd be in Canada right now. You would be. Yeah. 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 Starting a competition last weekend in Canada. Um, mm. Fortunately, I'm here. So. Yeah, uh, I was looking forward to that because I'd never flown in Canada before. So I haven't yet. It was going to be another country to tick off the list on a, on a flying in. Uh, been up there a few times traveling, but uh, never. So where have you where have you flown? A basic list. I know it's a lot, but oh, basic list. Uh, first international USA. trip was to Indonesia when I was fifteen. Yeah. Um, Japan. Yeah. Brazil, all throughout Europe. Um, Spain, yep. Austria, Germany, Italy, France, Switzerland. Everywhere. Everywhere through yep. there. Um, Mexico, US. Uh, Obviously Brazil. Brazil, a lot in Brazil. I go there a couple of times a year. Mm. Um, but yeah, generally my main stops are US, Brazil and Europe. Uh, on a regular basis. So. Do you, um, in your time in Austria, did you get to go to the Red Bull head office? I did. What's that like? It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, uh, I was actually quite lucky. I uh, I looked after um, the uh, the assistant to Mr. Mattershitz himself. Right. Uh, she came out here and she was a paraglider pilot. Really? And Red Bull uh, Australia asked me, they said, oh, we've got a VIP coming out from the head office um, and she wants to do some paragliding while she's here. And uh, I said, oh, they said, would you be able to look after it? She does want to bring her equipment. I said, yeah, I can find her equipment. I can help look after it, you know, get her a flight here and there, um, wherever she's at. I've got a lot of connections, so... Um, yeah, so I got her a flight down at Stanwell Tops down there in Sydney and then she came up here and another friend gave her some equipment to fly up around this area and uh, yep. yeah, just looked after her and um, yeah, went over there a year later or two years later and um, she's like, you got to come visit the headquarters and mm. uh, look after you and they certainly did that. I had the uh, Mr. Mattershit's personal driver picking me up from the hotel and drive me into the into uh, into the headquarters and and then um, yeah they showed me around and pretty impressive yeah. place and then what's uh, it a, a bunker isn't it uh, it's it's a volcano right 
which resembles power. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a sort of big dome-shaped thing um, with like a volcano-looking top to it. Yeah. Uh, and then I went and checked out Hangar 7. Yeah. Uh, which is where they have all their planes and uh, all their toys from... Yeah. I'm sure Toby Price has a Dakar rally bike in there and F1 cars, F1 there. cars yeah. and anything that they've uh, sort of, any major events they've won and stuff, those items sort of end up in that in that hangar. Yeah. Um, so you got to go there? I got to go there. It's, yeah. it's a thing open to the public. You can go there and, oh, is and it? pay to visit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I actually, uh, I got to go to Hangar 8, which is the maintenance hangar. Uh, which is where not many people get to go. So I, was, I got a bit of a VIP tour and uh, actually got to meet uh, Mr. Mattershitz himself. He just flown in uh, with the girl that I looked after here and spent five or ten minutes with him chatting and, yep. uh, yeah, amazing guy. That's very rare, hey? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I was in, I was in the headquarters yep. that day mm. and the people that work in the office next to him never talked to him. Really? You know, they said we've yeah. never actually met him. Like he comes in and he works. Yeah. We see him, might wave at him, but never. Never physically. Never actually, you know, yeah. sat down and had a had a chat to him. So that I was pretty impressed with that, that I, you know, got to yeah. s- spend so much time with him just chatting yep. and, uh, yeah. That's awesome. So, so Hangar 8, what, what do you mean by maintenance? Like, so it's, it's the hangar that they do all the maintenance on their planes. So they had a... Uh, uh, I think it was the DC six, the big, yeah. uh, the big plane that they've got. Um, you know, it's it's a so passenger it's plane back in America and proper functioning hangar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, huge hangar. But yeah, they had this toy in there, and you know, it's not quite a jumbo size, but not far off. Uh, about a seven three seven size plane, you know, and and just walking into it like they just ripped all the seats out and turned it into big lounges and you know like just full they just do things right they do yeah yeah um so yeah it's just pretty mind-blowing just going there and yeah and just seeing you know that hangar and toys in it and yeah um yeah just the workshop and all that yeah it was just something special so yeah certainly had the vip tour through their uh Facilities over there in Austria, so it was pretty cool in Salzburg, yeah. Geez, you've made some good memories, eh? I certainly have. Different things, you know? Yep. uh, The 14 years with Red Bull was definitely, uh, got to experience a lot of uh, pretty cool things. um, Yep. From Formula One races to seeing the hangars to meeting amazing other athletes and uh, becoming friends with them. Because they have the conference or something too, don't they, where you get to all, all... all the ambassadors or athletes? Yeah, we do uh, Athlete Summit every year. Summit. So all the, yeah. all the Red Bull athletes get together that yep. are available at the time. Yep. Sort of try to try to do it at the time of the year that most of the athletes are available. Mm. Uh, obviously, it's pretty hard when there's, I think, there's around 25 athletes in Australia. Yep. I'm not sure what there is right now, but uh, it was always in the 20 to 25 range when I was there. Yep. Um, Trying to, you know, doing all different sports, trying to have them all in the country at the same time is not mm. easy. Um, I know, you know, just from trying to catch up with mates here on the Gold Coast uh, that are athletes and it's hard just 
two of you is trying to have the yeah. right timing to uh, to catch up, you know, let alone yeah. having 25 there in the same spot. So uh, mm. we never, ever had uh, all the athletes there at the same time, but we, we definitely got 80, 90% uh, yep. in quite a few years. And, yeah, basically just a bit of a get-together and let your hair down and, yep. um, you know, we did do a lot of learning and stuff. They'd bring speakers in and teach us on how to do social media and post and yep. how to grow our channels and YouTubes and things like that, um, how the ins and outs of Red Bull worked and yeah. sort of just give us a bit of an overall picture and, um, yeah, just get us all to bond and yeah. have a bit of fun. and Such yeah. a good brand for it, isn't it? It is, yeah. For that stuff, you know, the the background work that's put in is huge. Oh, for sure. Mm. So, no, a lot of good times with them. And, that's cool. Uh, certainly done a lot of things that uh, could have never done on my own, so... Uh, it's definitely, yeah, put, it's a little push, isn't it? Little it is, push. yeah. So where can people find you online, mate? Uh, most of my social media is just Johnny Duran, J-O-N-N-Y. Yep. And, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Facebook. That's about the two that I use most. Awesome. I'm not a huge Snapchat person or any of those things yet. TikTok? TikTok, no, I haven't got a TikTok account uh yeah no don't go that path i don't reckon no i don't think so i'll stick to the instagram and facebook for the time yep. being um also on youtube as well yep. um on the same net handles um but uh yeah so and what's the just for people that are, are listening what's the red bull movies what's what's the the clips that are out there so you've got the uh for the distance record what was it called um, uh the the documentary the, I did over red there bull was TV. They're, so, still, they're still on Red Bull TV. So what, what was it called? Um, uh, the Well, the Morning Glory one was called Glorious Days. Glorious Days, yep. Um, and then the the world records down in the Great Australian Bite was called the Boomerang Project because mm-hmm. um, I was going out and back. So we yep. decided to call it an Australian name like the Boomerang. Yep. Uh, and then the one I did with the Weather Channel over in the States was called uh, Wind, Wind Glider. Isn't that terrible? That is terrible. Yeah. Uh, I said it before. I forget. Wind chaser. The wind. 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 Man, I've watched it too. Um, wind chase. Wind glider. Wind. I'll put mm. it in the um. I'll put it in the comments. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to I'll have to figure out what it's called again. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure whatever I told you before was right. It's just slipped my my mind right now. It's so easy when you're in conversation. It just yeah. things just pop into your brain. But when you get put on the spot, what's the name of? Wind something? rider. Wind rider. That's wind it. rider. Yeah. All right. But yeah, if you just you know, if they just Google my name yep. with uh, any one of those things, they'll, they'll generally pop up. But uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, that Windrider one is really cool for people to check out because it really does explain. Yep. Um, you, you said you've seen it yourself, so it just gives you a bit more of an understanding of what we what we do and so and the art we, and science behind it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they they did a lot of um, I forget what it's called uh, the three D imaging um, modeling modeling. Yep. Um, so they sort of demonstrate what thermals were and things like that and and had my hang glider, my Red Bull hang glider flying between these thermals and stuff. Um, so it was pretty cool, yeah. They did they did a pretty amazing job on that. So uh, that's, yeah. a, that's definitely a good one to check out. But, yeah, the, the YouTube clips of the morning glory and things like that, um, yep. you know. It'll blow you away. Like for, for myself, that's – some of the Red Bull clips is what me, got me into going to uni for film production it was just to see the th- – I didn't want to make movies. I wanted to get into making – Red Bull clips basically and that type of thing that was awesome for me that just the impression that it left was yeah it was pretty pretty strong so yeah it's good to see 
Yeah. But, um, mate, thank you so much for being a guest. We've pumped uh, two hours out. Holy jeez. Yep. Time flies when you're having fun, they say. It does, mate. So <laughs> we, um, when you said how long it take, I'm like, oh, it could be an hour or so. But, yeah, we're hour 57. Jeez. And, um, all right. Yeah, we've nailed it, mate. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, all the best for the rest of the hang gliding future. And hopefully more people get into the sport. Let's hope so, mate. It's just got to get out there and try it for themselves and they'll be hooked. Awesome. Thanks, mate. All right. Thanks, mate. All right. See ya. See ya.